Okay, so hello all monsters. Welcome to Caffeinated Monsters, your bi-weekly comedy or podcast. We have CJ with us today for a very lovely episode. Hi, friends, um, how are you doing? Yeah, doing good, good. It's Monday, I've just about survived. <laughs> <laughs> Only six more days till the pub opens, yeah? Oh, God. No, four more days, sorry, four more days. I don't, yeah. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> I can just about remember. <laughs> uh, do you prefer uh, if I call you CJ or Calvin? Um, CJ's the name I usually use for like broadcasting and stuff, so but uh, either, either or okay, okay, then. But yeah, uh, today we're doing an episode of the evolution of women in horror, yeah, yeah, quite, quite. A, I imagine it's a subject you could you could spend weeks on. Um, we'll try, we'll try and condense it into like you know half an hour or an hour or whatever, but uh, yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating, um, area really. That's, I think. It's it's underest. I think it's underestimated in the horror genre, genre, sorry, of how strong a role women have played. Like in terms of as a genre, horror has been ahead of its time. I think, in my opinion, and I think it's kind of leading the way and kind of teaching lessons to Hollywood of you know how um, female characters can be strong. Um, they can be you know just as as cruel and and ass kicking as the men. Um, and they've been doing that for quite some time. And I think Hollywood's finally kind of catching up uh, slowly with, you know, with the Marvel movies and that kind of stuff. So, um, but I think even within the horror genre, I think they've come from um, like early stereotypes of women with, you know, sort of big scary monsters and women sort of being scared and in the old sort of black and whites and 30s horror. Uh, even early stereotypes, you know, in the 80s and stuff, the, there was um, a lot of things that weren't, I don't think they're intentionally unfavorable to women, but obviously, you know, we judge things by a different standard these days. And I think those kind of movies wouldn't be as, as readily accepted now and, and arguably quite rightly so. Um, but we've kind of evolved into, you know, women being strong protagonists in horror movies, but also excellent antagonists. Yeah, there's uh, a lot to say about looking at things with the modern eye with um, with what women are allowed to do like nowadays. And it's like... And, uh, a lot of like the legal situations with women as well and it's like oh you look back on a lot of films and it kind of it it can be a bit murky to look at if i'm honest <laughs> well i mean it, it it's it's one of those things where that i don't wish to get too into sort of politics or anything but there is a, a thing these days for you know looking back through um various stages in history with sort of like you say a modern lens and whilst that's done constructively in order to learn lessons to, to not repeat mistakes of the past and, and improve society in the future then I, I, that that's that's perfectly acceptable that's what history is there for um but to completely sort of try and radically change everything and kind of go too far the other way in terms of um what the perception should be now and making demands of you know of of language and of um sort of roles in, in in reference to sort of those times, sort of 30, 50, 60, 100 years ago, whatever, I, I think you get into some muddy waters, I think. I, I personally find that not constructive. Yeah, I find that not forward-looking. But, um, but like I say, horror movies have kind of always led the way in that, uh, in reference to, you know, our, 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 one of our favourite sort of media, which is which is film. Um, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to like showing from like, oh, what was it, the um, back in... And like, when it comes to a lot of uh, early films, like Attack of the Giant Spider, and like things like that, and like giant killer ants, and it's like women being damsel damsels, and there's always like this one 
chiseled-jawed, chiseled-jawed, like, very white, like, Caucasian man being like, oh, I'll rescue you, sort of thing. So, yeah. like, nowadays, where it's like, it's usually the woman that has, like, the giant firearm taken out the, taken out the, um, the monster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, my, my favourite kind of like reversal of narrative, not just with women's rights uh, and uh, sorry, women's sort of representation, is um, the fact that the, the sort of the antagonist in um, Get Out was not only was it a woman, but she was like a white woman. Obviously, we know that Get Out addressed a lot of other barriers, um, which perhaps I'm not talking about today, but obviously it was an important film for addressing the race barrier. Um, and the fact that the, the antagonist was was white, I thought was quite a strong statement uh, and quite quite interesting, um, you know, as a as a uh, piece of commentary going forwards. Yeah, the fact that she could sort of like mask herself, like her motive, like the fact that she went from being like this loving partner to when the mask drops and she like, you know, I can't let what why I can't let you leave, and you see that she like lacks emotion afterwards. So like, the fact she can kind of make herself come across as like this loving person and in reality she has like this very dangerous like ulterior motive yeah which which you know i think as, as a piece of social commentary is uh, representative of some people in the real world you know they are kind of nice as pie or you know sweet when when you look at them but they've got this nasty undercurrent and obviously the issue they're addressing in get out is is race and racism it's not addressing it directly it's it's kind of a subtle backdrop to the whole story um, but the you know the, the, there are people in real life who are like that, and and I, I think I, one of the things I found the most interesting about that film, um, I thought I think Jordan Peele, he's he's a brilliant at kind of making social um, commentaries. I can't think of a better word for it, uh, but without sort of preaching or you know kind of like placard waving as it were, he's doing it in a very subtle but brilliantly nuanced way, um, which is why his films are are so so interesting. Yeah, there's multiple layers with it. It's not like you said. It's not like trying to slap you in the face with the message, but it's kind of like broaching it in a way that can that you can sort of like uh, that you can understand, even if you're not from that sort of like that. <sighs> yeah, that social group. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think of a way to build it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> like if you, I mean, like when I growing up, I was. I grew up in a very small and kind of like a, a market town. It was very white. There were very, like going up. There were very few people of like colour. Like you were either like white or you were like pretty much nothing else. And it was kind of like growing up, and then suddenly having like people of other backgrounds, like religions and um, of different skin tones as well, just having suddenly appearing in in this small town. I was like, oh shit there's other people <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's um it's kind of showing it in bite-sized bits of like sometimes it can be really in your face or you can do it subtly but when it comes to like films it, you could either go like one way or the other it's very rare to find something that's like a mid-ground but he does it really well yeah and no, i think one of the reasons it's effective is that people don't haven't really noticed i think they've noticed on an unconscious level but no one's accused the film of, or no right thinking person anyway, has accused the film of like virtue signaling or any kind of tokenism or anything like that. It's, you know, it, it's simply a brilliant film. I mean, obviously the the subject matter itself is is a part of the film, but by the same token, in terms of like as a screenplay and a script and a story, the kind of the, the background of the people is almost irrelevant in, in, in that respect. 
but the fact that no one's kind of crying or oh, stop preaching at me kind of idea about that film is shows it's effective i think mm. yeah definitely i do i like his sort of like style with things yeah yeah absolutely i mean the um us was 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 brilliant and i, I wasn't that taken with nope apart from the fact when he gets in the car and goes nope <laughs> uh, that was quite funny but um that, that I mean, wasn't as that's good. how most people would react is like nope not dealing with a shit yeah. going <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um but yeah in terms of like uh, i mean role models i've sort of broken my notes down into sort of three sections really like uh, early stereotypes protagonists antagonists and i think one of the areas in relation to early stereotypes where all horror films and and most of hollywood has, has come a long way is they don't tend to highlight particular behaviors of women um even in like the early slasher films you had a kind of i don't i don't, I don't know if it was meant to be subtle or it was just deliberate or whether it was just the, the feelings of the time I, I honestly couldn't tell obviously i'm not you know i'm not the writers or directors of these films but there was a kind of slut shaming going on um with slasher films in the early days um, oh definitely you know, yeah inadvertent maybe but it was always the ones who were kind of more promiscuous or came across as promiscuous or even sexually confident it's a word i prefer to promiscuous um <laughs> they were like the first ones punished first ones killed you know even nightmare on elm street does it friday the 13th does it um texas chainsaw massacre does it um and they're they, they're always the first to die or one of the first to die and you know there is like a, a, a what's the word like a, a subtle social message there that you know basically if you act like a slag you're gonna die kind of idea uh, i'm not suggesting that anybody went oh if i if i put myself about to use a phrase um i'm gonna get killed in my nightmares um but there was that kind of underpinned message that you know you shouldn't behave this way otherwise you'll get punished which was i think unfortunate but again it was the 80s and um but the 80s also saw the beginnings of of you know superb protagonists at the same time, I think that was the beginning of the evolution of the, of the strong woman character. Um, back end of that was the slasher things I just talked about. And then at the, at the same time, you had the final girl scenario where, you know, the, the, the kind of perceived smart girl was always the one left, um, which, you know, went some way towards, you know, breaking those those barriers or breaking the glass ceiling, however you want to put it. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Uh, Screen definitely goes into like the realm of that one because it... The fact that um, one of the main characters says like there's certain rules to survive in a horror movie, and one of them was you cannot have sex, and it was like everyone knows that kind of that ingrained rule yeah. that if you have sex you die. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got that rule that's in place. There's the fact you've got Nev Campbell as like the final girl, and she survives even though she does have sex. And she is a smart person in that film. So it's kind of like it's melds together that kind of that old sort of like ingrained stereotype. But at the same time, it updates it by having this person being incredibly intelligent and actually fighting back. Yeah, it almost mocks it, doesn't it? You know, again, very subtly, very nuanced. I think something horror is brilliant at is, is sort of subtle nuance when it's because horror movies, I don't think, set out to convey messages per se moral messages or social messages but at the same time the nature of horror films um is full of strong you know um messages for uh, for society and for for people and, and behavior and the way we interact with each other um it's one of the reasons the genre is so brilliant uh, you can enjoy it on so many levels yeah uh, well i feel that there's a lot of horror films that do have a message but i think it's it's easier for people to look 
back on the older films and kind of going, oh, this is what they meant when they when this film was released. Like when I yeah. watched, if you watch Carrie, like back in the day, it was just like this girl that's being bullied that absolutely annihilates everyone at the prom. But looking at back on it, it's more this person was literally being that had no safe space. They at home, it was absolutely horrible for them. They couldn't even get like a breather at school, and yet. Even on prom night, where it's kind of like America, it's very, they're very big on proms. Even there, like, she wanted to have a nice time and ended up going, like, getting a bucket full of pig's blood, blood dropped on her. And she was like, I've had enough and just snaps and kills a bunch of people. Yeah. So, to me, that's a commentary of if you have no safe space and you have no, no one you feel you can confide in, then at some point you there will be that breaking point for you. It's just a case of, like, when will it be? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the message of the film, if you like, was, was, you know, about, I suppose, bullying, really. But but the fact that um, it was a female... I mean, obviously, it's a Stephen King book, and Stephen King has been, you know, pushing boundaries in his books for forever. Um, but the fact it was a female character at that time, um, I think, was pretty brave um, uh, as, as, a, as a film. Because, it obviously, again, it addressed the fact that women aren't... You know, when she's being bullied, she's kind of this weedy kind of farm farm girl from sort of Midwest Americana um, who becomes this mad psycho at the end. And that shows, I suppose it almost like betrays an inner strength as well within her to like finally sort of snap and actually go and do it, go on and do what she did. You need a degree of inner strength to do that. Uh, and it took that, you know, the pig's blood instant for it to sort of come out. Um, but I think, yeah, I think yeah, being cast as a girl, because the film would have would have had the same sort of bullying message if it had been a, a, a man or a, a boy. I think it was brave at that time to do it as a girl. And again, it was brilliant because, you know, it it, um, it, it broke down a few barriers. Yeah, it, it showed that. Um, well, I like to I think of like Carrie, like the movie itself as like the. She's like an antagonist, but she's a protagonist because you're kind of like you're egging her on to like to fight back. But with the result of what she does, it's kind of like she's the antagonist at the same time. So it's kind of like it's a different side to the same queen. Yeah, I suppose she's like one of the first anti-heroes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when, when was Carrie? 76, I think. So I mean, that's... Before the slasher movies, really, sort of, um, Halloween was what seventy eight. So, you know, as 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 a horror thing, most horror movies in the seventies were kind of supernaturally oriented about the devil, weren't they, and uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so again, what what as a film, it was quite brave, but obviously, luckily, it was based on a on a brilliant book. Mm. It's the same with oh, what was it? The uh, the craft, like the original, the craft. Well, it's kind of like. You had like a female protagonist and antagonist in the same group of friends, and it yeah. seemed that how having power and depending on your circumstances at home can like how your home life could change who you are as growing up as well. Yeah, which I think I think hit home with a lot of lot of young people. I remember, I mean, the craft came out in. Got your testimony knowledge now. I was at school when it came out, so it must have been ninety three, ninety four. I'm guessing. Um, maybe a bit earlier, but all the all the girls at school loved it because of you know the way it portrayed the female characters. Um, even girls that I know that you know weren't too into horror movies, they just ah oh, the craft is great because I suppose in the same way that Buffy um, came about, it, it had that same appeal. 
and kind of like I think it empowered a few women and and and, and young girls who, who watching these films to think actually it's it's we can be not not that we can be something i don't think it was that strong a thing but you know what i'm saying i think it just helped young women sort of realize yeah we can be cool you know um it was like the beginning of a much more uh, equalizing of of things yeah that with buffy it was um she wasn't an outsider but she was like she could have a group of friends and still be able to kick ass that's what I absolutely loved about her was the fact that she was very um she wanted to help people, not just do it for like selfish reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 96, the craft, I just looked it up. Hashtag fact check. <laughs> uh, a little, little bit later. So yeah, it was right at the back end of my school days, that, that must have been. How old was I in 96? I think I was yeah, four. I was four in 96. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, you yeah. missed the nineties. The nineties was wonderful. <laughs> Oh, I was born in 92. <laughs> oh, wow. 92, yeah. I was... What was I doing? I was at school. Oh, no, that's irrelevant. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so when did Buffy start then? Because I, I confess I've seen Buffy, but I never watched it at the time. Um, I think it was 97 or 98 it came out. Right, that probably sounds about right. Because, again, being at, um, being at school and in sixth form, um, you know, loads of my female friends watched it and loved it. Uh, let's let's Google. I'll have to I have to confess to googling because obviously Mike probably picks up the typing on the keyboard. Yeah, ninety seven. Oh, I do it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ninety seven. So yeah, you, know, you were right. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I like I like the way they portrayed like quite a few of the female characters in that one. How it kind of like some of the guys in in that show actually needed help from the women, and I, I just I like that and the um, like you had. In the beginning, like Buffy being like a cheerleader that could kill demons. You've got Willow who's like getting into witchcraft, but she was like a bit of a nerdy one. And you've got uh, Cordelia who was a, a bit of a bitch, but she actually had like a heart of gold when she was like, she got away from that toxic friend group. And you re- she realizes, oh, I can be helpful, but she realized she can do more than what she was kind of like pigeonholed into. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Do you have any examples of, um, uh, of protagonists? I mean, the one, the two that spring to mind for um, protagonists. I think the first megastar protagonist in, in horror was was Ellen Ripley um, from from the Alien films, because obviously the, the the whole film from start to finish is you know the one survivor. Um, you know, she's got this insane inner strength because she's not. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's not particularly like you know. I suppose she's probably athletic, but she's not like a big built woman. She's a, a, a normal looking woman who's probably quite fit because she's, you know, in space, whatever. But she's not like if you take the archetypal male hero who's like, you know, ripped and kind of like, you know, big chin, like you said earlier. Um, if you, a female <laughs> version of that would be someone like, I don't know, like China from the WF or something like that, you know, who's kind of, you know, equally ripped and goes to the gym. But Ripley's not. Ripley's just like the the epitome of determination. Um, to succeed and obviously, you know, see off the alien and, and she's brave enough to face it. Whereas all the crew were, were basically too chicken and all the rest of the crew, I think apart from one were male um, and they are, they're all chickens and they all die. So, you know, um, uh, the, the fact that she's comes through and she faces the alien alone and she blows up the ship and it, it, it's just awesome. And she was, yeah, I think she was the first, you know, kind of Hollywood um, sort of woman hero, really in, in, in the modern cinema anyway. I'm sure there have been people before her, but obviously what she went on to do the whole franchise 
um, was a fantastic role model to, um, to to women around the world and to men, frankly, you know, because men should be. I always think, you know, when when you get examples of strong women, it's it's great for women, but it's also um, a, a lesson to men that actually you should, you know, look. The, the, that sounds patronising, but you know, women can be great too. They can be strong with you. You know, they can be um, a, 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 like you are, and you could be stronger together, or, or something. I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say, but um, I think men could learn from it as much. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. But you don't, it, always, it, you don't always have to like go in like fist first and like punch everything in sight. Sometimes you do have to be like quick on your feet. Sometimes you do have to sort of like think about what you're going to do and do next, not just going guns blazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I realise as you know, as a man, that it, it's easy to sort of inadvertently be a bit patronizing with like oh look aren't these women strong aren't they great it's obviously not what i'm trying to say whatsoever but um i've always felt that like you know men can learn i mean we we grow up with mothers and mothers are strong characters so you know we really should start learning from a young age <laughs> yeah uh, what was it there was something i um oh, i saw something online it was a really funny thing it was something along the lines of why do people sort of like say when a person's stronger is like, oh yeah, you've got some big bollocks on you? It's when, and they said, why do you want to be compared to bollocks? You could literally flick them and you'd make someone cry. Be, say, <laughs> you, say you're going to be a vagina. Those things could take some damage. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's a fair point. <laughs> it's a fair point. <laughs> but yeah, it, just, it, it comes to mind every so often when someone says, oh yeah, these are. Like, oh, God, they've got some big balls on you. And I'm like, oh, mate, you just flick them hard enough, like they'll be crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic point. Um, the other one, <laughs> the other sort of brilliant example I thought of was um, Heather Langenkamp in um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy. Um, again, you know, she's just, just a female character fighting back against the demon. And obviously she's the, the, the focal point of, um, of all the, the Nightmare on Elm Street films, um, some of which are better than others, I think would be a, a fair summary of that franchise. Um, but again, she was a hero, and she was, you know, she was she was, she was the, um, the the chief uh, f- against Freddy, uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, when when was Nightmare on Elm Eighty four, think so. Eighty It's kind of uncanny that in the same movie where you get like um, the, you know the girl killed really early, who is sort of a bit like um, uh, promiscuous for want of a better word dies first but then you've got nancy who's like this pillar of strength who you know again believes that she can take out freddie uh, there's, there's an almost kind of an inherent irony in there really but maybe it shows that that i don't know maybe maybe, maybe the movie was was critiquing its own genre i don't know maybe it doesn't go as deeply as that um i'd have to ask wes craven if that was a kind of a deliberate um sort of uh self-critique it probably wasn't but um if he wants to claim it he can i won't tell anybody wes you're welcome to that thought if you wish <laughs> <laughs> you've got nancy who's like this preppy girl that's going against like this dream demon and she's the one that's telling like johnny depp's character it's like you have to stay awake if you like if you, you die go to sleep and what's he do like handsome bloke usually like the hero in a lot of things dies by literally getting dragged into his bed and having like a giant hose pipe full of blood pumped out of the room <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I always uh, enjoy sort of. Um, I have a few friends who love Johnny Depp, and I don't get me wrong. I think he's a superb actor, but I, I enjoy winding them up saying his famous performance was as a bucket of blood in Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that lovely like a uh, uh, was it American football jersey that's uh, cut like a crop top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think was that his very first movie? It might have been his first movie actually. He, he might have done something unheard of before then. Although 
Batman Elm Street was an unheard of movie, so it might have been his, his cinema debut, that film, but uh, I, I'm happy to be wrong if, if, if I can be bothered to look it up. But yeah, all, all the guys are the, are the scaredy cats in, in, um, in that film, aren't they? Even, even the, the, the boyfriend who kind of gets put away for, um, you know, for the, the murder or gets chased by the police for the murder, he's basically a bit of a chicken shit, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and all the, the yeah, and, and again, that's quite an interesting sort of flip on, on, on the take. Because um, even Freddy's not like, oh, yes, of course he's a male, but he's not um, like a big bounding Jason or um, uh, Michael Myers, you know, sort of six foot plus character. He's just this sort of mischievous demon almost, if you like. It's almost like a, a gremlins <laughs> evolved into something in your nightmares. I mean, he's very mischievous, isn't he? So uh... Yeah, that's a good way of describing him. I would say misery is quite a for me misery is a good uh, sort of like example of someone being an um an antagonist but but they have that kind of like false sort of like caring behavior sort of like yes. this manipulative, manipulative like motherly fig- figure that's trying to like help someone but as soon as they do something that she doesn't agree with like she like manipulates them and like flips flips personality straight away yeah that, that was a superb film misery again that's another stephen king novel isn't it Oh yeah, I always forget how many films have been adapted from his books. Yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of the classics. Uh, obviously, we know about The Shining. Uh, we know about Pet Cemetery. Um, and yeah, Misery is, is another one with um, Kathy Bates, isn't it? Misery. She's superb in that. Absolutely superb. Yeah, I think she fits that role really well with like her sort of like very caring appearance, but the fact that she has that that kind of um, that range to go from like this really caring person to someone that's like like. How how dare you? And just kind of like conveying that that level of emotion. Yeah, she has that sort of maternal, maternal, maternalism, maternalistic sort of vibe about her, doesn't she? She's white works, I think, for that character. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, the hobble scene gets me every time. It's just (laughs) that's one of the first, one of the few scenes when I first saw it that I had to look away. I confess that was like, oh, I don't think I can watch that. Um, there's not many scenes in a movie that I, I sim- simply can't look at. And the first time I saw that, I, yeah, I had to look away. Yeah, it made my ankles feel really weak when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, they show it. <laughs> I think another um, brilliant actress for, for, for kind of that brilliant sort of different different take on the protagonist and different take on the sort of female character has got to be Catherine Isabel um, from Ginger Snaps and American Mary. Um, oh, I love again, her. Yeah, she's 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 brilliant. And <laughs> the thing I love about American Mary um, is the fact that nothing about the film is American. I don't know why they called it American Mary, because she's Canadian. The film's shot in Vancouver. The crew are Canadian. Most of the cast are Canadian. Why on earth is it called American Mary? I, I, I would love to know. Um, but yeah, she's brilliant. And in Ginger Snap, she's brilliant. Um, again, you know, as, as, a, as a character, as a, as a, a sort of protagonist. I'm glad you brought up American Mary because her kind of well, I have to give a bit of a trigger uh, warning for this one because it's mentioned like sexual assault. So it's very um, her motivation for going after a professor is literally because of what he like he sort of like drugs her and then yeah does does the deed while she's like not coherent and it's just things like that. There's a lot of films from like decades worth of films were the thing that kind of like sets off the horror from 
in the movie is usually like a woman being sexually assaulted or objectified in that way. Like a shirt being ripped off, there's like a nude scene. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, it's, that's and that seems to be the thing that like triggers like the rest of the horror film off. And it's kind of like, I'm glad that so many films, like there's quite a few horror films nowadays where it's kind of like you have like a female lead and they don't have, they actually have like a, a plot device where they don't use sexual violence as the thing that progresses the story to create that scenario of horror. As like, you don't, they don't use that sort of thing as a way to give that female character like, the motivation to go out and kill people. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I suppose it, it perhaps was a device originally because it, it gives justification to the character, doesn't it? But but you're right, there's a lot of other things that women suffer um, in life that uh, that could trigger. Um, because you wouldn't see it again if, if it was an American Dave. Who's Dave? Um, then, you know, the, the, you wouldn't see the guy sexually assaulted in the same manner. I think something else would happen, like he'd be bullied or he'd be robbed or, you know, something like that and almost murdered. Um, so, no, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, it's very, it's, I can only think of like one or two films where there is actually sexual violence towards men in horror films. One of them was literally, uh, what was it, Deliverance, you know, the famous scene where it's up, Squirrel Like a Piggy. Yeah, yeah. I can't actually think of any other movies where it's like the, motivation for the for the for them to get out and like that's right and, and and maybe maybe it should be you know i mean i think you know that the, the, there is it is an issue in society not perhaps as much for men as it is women but you know with without being geographic but male on male sexual violence does happen and and maybe it's something that these films could address um to sort of say look it's a thing and um you know people need to um you know kind of socially be, be aware of it but i think Interesting. On a, on a similar sort of um, vein, um, you've seen It Follows, haven't you? Yeah, I've got it on DVD. Yeah, that that was a film that I felt, again, on an unconscious level, really challenged that whole narrative um, because you can interpret the thing that's following her about um, as a... I mean, she's a, she's a rape survivor, isn't she? And um, it addresses that whole, like, rape culture. But again, on a very subtle level, but, like, the the kind of stigma of surviving a rape is kind of the ghost on a very unconscious level does that make sense yeah i thought it was actually i thought it was um i thought the sex thing was consensual but it turned about the um the thing that was following her was kind of like almost like a not supernatural way of saying like oh this is an std like it's kind of like it's that was like the thing yeah, I mean that that's also true. I mean that could also be one way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean I I've, I didn't really give much thought until we were sort of sitting down. I was doing some research on this, and um, an article I read mentioned it follows, and I sat and thought about it. I thought, yeah, that, that that could be an angle, but equally what you're saying uh, could could be true as well. Um, I think as as a sort of uh, theme, there's still like a, a sort of sex theme and and a stigma um, that, that's that's kind of following following her about, which I, I thought was really interesting. I, I to be honest, I'd never considered that until I read this particular article, um, which just, again, just shows how subtle that particular message is, whether it's an STD, whether it's a rape, whatever it is, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very, very subtle thing. Um, but it's a brilliant movie, it follows. Mm, I liked it. It was um, kind of, it, it's, it's having that, that, the fear of, it's something that is literally following you, but will never like chase you, like not run after you, but it, it will walk. It's like, it's almost like, um, the fact you can give it to other people, it's almost like like a like a supernatural STD, or it's like it's almost like you're 
passing on that cycle of trauma in a way. So you kind yeah. of like passing it on yeah. to someone else, and then they have to deal with it because it's their turn, and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I think I think that's that's, that's a really good observation. Uh, and then I think I think one film that went the other way with the sort of the anti-hero um, sort of protagonist slash antagonist was Jennifer's Body, um, because obviously that's Megan Fox, and you don't often see um, Hollywood superstars doing horror movies. It tends to be the other way around. Although nowadays horror is kind of quite cool to do if you're you know are a well-known Hollywood actor, but, um, but traditionally it was always like a step step up. People began in horror and then moved on to um, more sort of mainstream. Uh, films um but the thing about jennifer's body was obviously megan fox is a rather glamorous actress it kind of sort of brought the the idea of a more glamorous women uh to as as protagonists slash antagonists as well because obviously a lot of um a lot of the, the women in in these films are sort of then they're not unglamorous but you know what i'm trying to say she's she's an obvious like if you say you'd say glamorous actress she'd be one of the first names that came to mind um whereas the others uh in other films are much more dare I say normal looking you know like somebody who you would know sort of down the pub um but I thought as as an angle that was quite interesting it's like in the in the Transformers movie she was there for pretty much for eye candy so having her being like the one that in Jennifer's body that ends up becoming possessed by uh like turning into a demon that has to eat people in order to stay like stay glamorous to to the extent that people expect from her to keep up that kind of like that appearance, I, I have to stay in the game. I have to stay to that level of um, standard. Otherwise, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, people will judge her for it. Yeah, and it's, it's like, something that's gone. Sorry. So um, it's like when the uh, needy, uh, her best friend, says, uh, "She's eating boys. She's if she doesn't, she becomes like less pretty. She become like she's still pretty, but she's become less pretty. She becomes." run down it's that kind of kind of like that observation of she's not as beautiful as she usually is so she's showing that she's it's almost like someone saying you're not putting that much effort into your appearance it's kind of like a commentary on that yeah you're absolutely right and it's even relevant today because obviously you know it's i've always found it you know sad that women feel they have to have an appearance they have to be sort of you know appearing a certain way always wearing makeup or you know sort of thing the guys have never had to deal with with that being perceived a certain way because you're not made up and you know in the social media age especially with you know young people young women on on like instagram and tiktok and that sort of stuff um it, they're, they're still just continuously having to keep up appearances um I, i'd argue it's even more of a pressure these days because of social media you know in old days you could just if you didn't feel like being like that, you could just hide and nobody saw you but when you've when you're under pressure to have like a, a, a what's it they call it a, a brand you know everyone thinks they've got a brand when they've got an Instagram profile um, then it, it just it puts more pressure on young women to to be like this and I think Jennifer's body addresses it prior to social media but the message is still relevant and true I think it's quite an important message yeah it's like um, what was it the if guys get older they they're sort of like seen as more mature like they start getting like gray hair like the the dad bod is seen as more of a a social normity whereas a woman that's had like um that's given birth has like a bit of a a little bit of a belly on them like a mum bod just it's not seen as a thing whereas if someone's got a dad bod that's more that's seen as more attractive somehow 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've never personally understood that. Um, but that, I mean, yeah, society has always been that way. Um, you know, since magazines came out, since Hollywood first started, it, it's it's always been that way. It doesn't doesn't obviously make it right. And I think I, I don't I don't know if it would ever change. I'll be honest with you. I was always hoping with various campaigns on on social media of of you know of, of different body shapes and and so on until Hollywood starts using a variety of people in body shapes and um you're seeing a variety of like sexualities and a variety of, of races and stuff which is great uh, that's you know that that's progress um but you're still not seeing um nearly every female lead is you know your archetypal pretty girl with you know blonde hair or brown hair or, or you know there's a certain look and figure to them and i really would like the character could be just as good if they were, you know, much more shapely, they were a bit older um, or shorter or whatever, or taller, um, they could still be just as good and the, and the story would be just as good. So why not, you know, portray other sort of women's um, sort of body shapes in this manner? Um, and uh, even horror movies could could do with that, I think, from time to time. Um, it, it, it's I find that's massively unfortunate that people feel the film won't sell if the girls aren't pretty. You know, that that's... It's shocking, really, especially in this day and age, but it is a thing. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Uh, there's a few films where, uh, well, like magazines and films and campaigns, they show, there's more of a thing for people that have, like, if you have a, a very large birthmark on your face or if you if you have, like, uh, a limb missing and things like that, that's more, that's showing itself a bit more when it comes to being like, a visual thing in like magazines and things but as you say but in terms of like women having like different body shapes and stuff there's like some adverts on tv that show it more there's more like tv presenters of different shapes now like it used to be very like you had to be like caucasian bond very skinny whereas now there's a really big variety of different tv presenters that are different shapes and i love that now yeah, because a, a, a role model is a role model. Why, why does it matter what, what, what shape they are or what colour they are? I, I've never understood that. If you're going to be a positive role model, then it's even more important that they're not the thing that everyone's trying to be but more unlikely to be. You know, not, not everyone can be um, the sort of the, the media-perceived version of pretty, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, but, you know, people can be beautiful in so many ways. And if TV and Hollywood led the way in demonstrating that you know i mean it's something that the ripley did the ripley character did do a little bit for was that kind of gruff um not traditionally feminine looking character could still be a hero uh, you know i think that went some way to addressing it but i think there's a way to go in that i think and it, it saddens me that you know that there's no need for female characters to be a certain way um to make a movie work I, yeah there's, there's still a way to go on that sadly yeah, it's it's trying to make it more acceptable for like the industry. It's literally putting your foot in the door and kind of going, "Can we please have a bit more variety of people?" So it's not like the same actresses and actors being hired for, the, for these jobs. Can we have someone that has a, a bit of a belly on them, or someone that has, let's say, a person that has like a, a birth defect, or people that have like that are you. Uh, wheelchair users like just something that's a bit more so it's not just like able-bodied people but it's having that variety of these people exist can we please have them on tv can we have them in film 
can we just have that 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 sign that you don't have to look like a, a filtered Instagram model? Yeah, exactly to be that. to be to be seen. Like you know, there's a lot of people that have like medical conditions and a lot of um. Oh, what was it? Um, like, there's a lot of it. It does sadden me that really there's just so many people out there that aren't being shown in in a lot of like a positive light like when it came to like horror films like a while ago like mental health wasn't seen in a positive light like if you had like depression or if you were seen with uh taking medication you were seen as like the crazy bad guy yeah yeah absolutely but i'm thankful that that's like phasing out quite nicely now like that's not like as much of an issue but it's still a it's a big boundary for when it comes to like people with like different shapes and sizes yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think one movie that actually did address that slightly was A Quiet Place, because the actress who played the young deaf girl is actually deaf, isn't she, in real life? Um, and that's that's brilliant, because um, not only does it show that, again, that you know, despite her disability, she can still be you know, a, a critical part of the story, um, but the fact the actress was deaf as well was was brilliant. I'm not, I'm not one of these who... who, who I, don't, I draw the line at, like, a person has to be X in order to portray X because they're actors. It's called acting. So you can be anything you like if you're so you're good at it. But the fact she was a death girl, I think, was quite cool. was quite, was quite um, brilliant. And she was a great actress. Yeah, I think I would, I would draw the line if it was, if you were literally, I'm trying to think, if, if, the, if the filming environment wasn't suitable for that person's condition, then I'd say don't put someone in, in in that situation where it's go, where it's going to be difficult for them where it's a case yeah, of yeah, if, yeah. if you can't accommodate for the, for someone with that condition like either make life easier for them or have like a stand-in for like shot that for shots that would be difficult for them yeah like if somebody had epilepsy for example you wouldn't expect an epileptic to play an epileptic when there's going to be lots of scenes with flashing lights for, for example um that that would probably be that would be yeah hazardous to that, that actor's health so you either you'd like you say, get a stand-in, or you get somebody who's not epileptic, play an epileptic character. But I, 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 I'm, I'm, I may be in a minority in the modern age, as it were, but I have no issue with somebody who's not something betraying something that they are, because that's acting. That's what they're doing. I mean, Al Pacino's not blind, but he was won an Oscar for playing a blind guy uh, in in Scent of a Woman, um, and nobody else could have done that better. So you know, there, there is there is a line to draw in terms of like what shouldn't happen because somebody's not something that said it's fantastic when somebody who is got disability is in a position where they can play a character uh, and can, you know, again, break down barriers that way. It's not as long as it's um, appropriate. I think uh, like the deaf girl in, in quiet place. Absolutely brilliant. Exactly. It's like um, having the storyline that would, that fits around that condition not the opposite way around absolutely yeah absolutely so who would be your favorite antagonist then Ooh. Hmm. that's a favorite antagonist that's that's actually really difficult for me because i might have to go back to you on that one <laughs> well whilst you think about that um something really interesting i came across in, in doing some research I, I completely hadn't been aware of before but it makes a lot of sense it's something called the bechdel test have you heard of this is that the one where it's um, to measure uh, comparing what was it like uh, a man on screen to, uh, and a woman on screen, depending on like how much time they uh, each person's on screen? I think. 
Yeah, so apparently the, the, the Bechdel test, which is named after um, uh, a lady who was a, a comic, either comic writer or a, a comic book writer or a graphic artist, I, I, I don't remember which, um, was a social commentator, um, which apparently one of her, some of her work got in hot water. I didn't read too much into that side of it, but the, the test um, was if, if two, how often two women talk to each other in a movie about something other than a man. And then Gina Davis, um, her, her institute, the, the actress Gina Davis, took this um, study and took it across genres and developed this thing called the GDIQ, the Gina Davis Inclusion Quotient, um, which is facilitated by machine learning technology. So the goal was to recognise patterns in gender, screen time and speaking time that the casual viewer might overlook. And the study found that in film, men are seen and heard twice as often as women. The exception was horror movies. I thought that was that was massively fascinating because I, maybe as a man I've not noticed these things I don't know but um, it, it it was fascinating twice as often men are heard and seen as women that's insane hmm. yeah I think it kind of I think for me that goes into that same bracket of if you look at the um what was it they did like a, a breakdown of how much men tend to earn doing a film compared to women in films. Even if they had the same amount of screen time, women tend to earn a little bit less than men, even though they've got they're on screen the same amount and they're like the, they're like the two main characters. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's sort of getting into the gender pay gap conversation, isn't it? But again, that's not not ideal, is it? You know, it's if you're the star of the movie and you're the reason the movie's selling because people people go and see a movie because they love the characters and and I think people love the female characters as much as they love the male characters. Now, I think most audience cinema going people don't care whether it's a male or female lead character i think they're just going because they love you know spider-man or wonder woman or captain marvel or john wick or whoever that's who they're going to see and it's irrelevant that it's it's male or female um but they're the the university of southern california apparently did a study um depicting researching depictions of gender and race in film and television and apparently out of the 5,000, I'm reading this from, from the report, 5,839 characters in the 129 top grossing films between 20, 2006 and 2011, so over a five-year period, fewer than 30% of those characters were women or, or girls, uh, and only 50% of these films fulfilled the criteria of the, the Bechdel test. That's depressing. It, it's shocking, isn't it? But again, the same report goes on to say that horror is bucking the trend. Yeah, it's nice to see that a uh, lot... Like- even though quite a few people are like, oh, horror's beneath me. And yet horror's the thing that's, no, this is portraying women in a, in a good light. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I must say, I think that the day I said earlier, the days of like people starting in horror and then going on to do other things has kind of almost flipped on its head because you get a lot of big actors and actresses who, who now are quite happy to do horror. I look at Vera Farmiga, you know, she was an established actress in her own right and she was happy to do The Conjuring. Um, and she was brilliant in it, absolutely brilliant. Um, and you know that was a nice sort of um, sort of barrier break for older women, you know, because she wasn't the you know young. I mean, very very for me, is a very attractive woman, but it, it, she wasn't young and sprightly. She was an older woman, more mature, more wise, um, yet still able to be, you know, a, an awesome protagonist in in the whole Conjuring, uh, the three Conjuring movies. Hmm. It's um, kind of like the Babadook, but the fact you've got like a a slightly older woman being like the main character in it going up against this like metaphor possible metaphorical monster about 
depression and grieving. The Babadook's main character being like a, a slightly older, like a mother that's going through like grieving and depression and has to look after their child and having them being like the main character and it's showing her being who she is. Like she's not like a perfect woman. She's not like, you know, she's not going to win like gold, like gold, like a uh, model of the year award or anything like that. It's showing her in that kind of in a really bad place. So it's show it's it is shown like the slightly less shiny side of motherhood and having someone that's a bit older going through that and you've actually seen the visual side of like, of that down spiral. It's it's great to see that in a film. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean the Babadook addresses um sort of mental health as well, doesn't it? In in a in a I can't say a positive light because obviously it's not it's not a, a positive film per se, but it addresses it and, and makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think about that sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, oh yeah. To answer your question from earlier, favorite antagonist, uh, Julia from Hellraiser. You've been talking to Keith, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, there is that. But I do love the fact me and the missus actually talk about this sometimes. So it's like Julia is literally Pinhead is like. The, like, the supernatural evil force in this film. But Julia is like, the fact that she's human and actually does so much damage and can manipulate so many people and just be very iconic with not just her appearance, but with her personality. Like the fact that she's very, um, she has this presence when she's on screen that you know that, that, that something's going to go down and that she is a force to be reckoned with. That's what I love about her. It's about she, she's very, um, she gives you that feeling of, oh, you don't want to piss her off. And I love that about her character. No, absolutely. And I think the fact that, like, I mean, you don't see the sort of the British actors cast as Hollywood bad guys thing so much anymore. But the fact that she is British adds that edge to it, I think. That, that kind of, um, that the way that she talks that wouldn't work if she was American, the, the, the actress. I mean, obviously they could put on an English accent, but I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, she was brilliant. That's, that's an awesome shout, Julia. But yeah, she just to me, she just stands out as like the, like the the baddest bitch in the whole film. Yes, yeah. no, absolutely, absolutely, and, and the fact that she'll go to any length to get what she really, really wants. Um, you know, there's a kind of a message of, of perseverance in there, even if you know what you want is to raise your raise your your lover from the dead. <laughs> yeah, it's just that it's that determination. Like she'll do what she what she can to like get get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and interestingly, in the same movie, and uh, it's Ashley, isn't it, the, the girl? Um, she's quite a strong character as well, because she's like, you know, determined to sort of take on the Xenobites and uh, and stuff as well. It's a, good, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good film for strong women. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it definitely, it puts women into that spotlight of, you can be like the manipulator in the situation, but you can also be like the, the driving force to make things right. Like the fact that the... Um, what is her name? Ashley, was it? Uh, the girl? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's Ashley, yeah. Yeah. The fact that Ashley actually bargains with the Cenobites, kind of go, no, don't take me, I know how to get what you want and fix the situation. Like the fact that she's able to think on her feet and actually go, you know what, I can, I can bargain with you on this one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She's the only one who's sort of smart enough to figure it out, really. Uh, I think the overall sort of uh, overarching message with a lot of these, like... Um, the female uh, protagonist is it's kind of brains over brawn um which 
you could argue is in danger of bringing with it its own stereotype, but as as a role model, as an example, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Again, guys could look at that and think, actually, yeah, if I just like you said earlier, think before before sort of wading in, then uh, maybe I might get somewhere. Um, you know, sort of talk to the Xenobites rather than try and kill them. Then they, they'd have more success. Yeah, it's like playing a like playing a board game. Like if you were playing chess, you could literally go in, uh, play uh, like move all your chess pieces haphazardly. Kind of think, I'm just gonna do this. This is how I'm gonna like win the game, but not plan your. If you don't have a good strategy in place, if you don't think before you move, and think of the consequences of it, you've got a better chance. You've got a bigger chance of losing. Yeah, which begs the question: Why aren't there more sort of um, prominent female chess players? Apart from the fact it's boring. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the Queen's Gambit makes it look exciting. <laughs> I- I've never seen it. To be honest with you, uh, it's got uh, is it Anya Taylor Joy. Mm. Um, she's sort of sort of flavour of the month at the moment. Isn't it? She's been in some horror movies, isn't she? I'm sure I've seen a couple of horror movies with her in. Yeah, she's um, yeah, she's been in quite a few in the last three, four years. Yeah, I, I, she seemed to sort of be sort of Netflix flavour of the month for a little while. Mm. Uh, I remember sort of every every movie I watched I was like, oh, it's Anya Taylor Joy, it's Anya Taylor Joy. You know, she seems to be the current uh, flavour of the month. I can't think of another way. I was trying to think of another way to say it, but <laughs> that's the only way I can think to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever watched a film called Starry Eyes? No. I recommend it because it kind of it shows what the storyline is. Literally, like this woman is she has a, a day job working in like a fast food restaurant, but she's trying to like uh, she she takes her acting classes she goes to auditions and she's trying to like get a big break so that she can get into movies and it kind of it shows what how manipulative the industry can be to someone that's really desperate to get into it i mean it has a lot of like supernatural things involved but it's that kind of that seedy side of it and that kind of like how far would you go in order to, to get what you want right what was it called uh starby eyes Starry Eyes, oh, I'll, I'll look that up. Always love a good recommendation. Mm. I do recommend, what else is it? Uh, the Descent, if you haven't seen that one. Uh, a long time ago, yeah. Ah. Again, a, a group of very strong women going against, uh, but in, in a very unfamiliar territory, fighting against something that they've never seen before. Yes, yes. I'm t- trying to rack my brains now. It's been a while. It's quite old, The Descent, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was... 2000 oh, i need to look this up i think it was 2005 maybe yeah that, that sounds about right that sounds about right i'm, I'm sure i saw it at the cinema but I, I may not have seen it since oh shit i got it right yeah 2005 and the oh. came out in 2009 i expect nothing less that was a good guess <laughs> <laughs> i think my favorite antagonist in horror full stop uh, happens to be a female character but it, it wouldn't work in any other way um it's got to be kayako Ah, yes. <laughs> um, the, the the noise that spawned a thousand drunken impressions in the pub. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I shan't attempt to recreate. But um, the, the, obviously, J horror was 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 breaking its own boundaries in the sort of early two thousands to sort of mid two thousands, and obviously we've seen you know loads of remakes of which Buffy was in, of course. Um, oh yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she'll forever be Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing more terrifying, I don't think, um, when it comes to horror movies than th- uh, not only something that's unkillable, but something that's completely supernatural and just turns up and follows you everywhere. 
um uh, yeah she's she's nuts it's, it's the only film i may have said this in the last time i recorded with you but it's the only film that ever gave me nightmares as an adult um the grudge films it's just yeah in, insane in, in the very definition of intensity absolutely brilliant uh, she would probably be my favorite yeah she's definitely um i thought yeah she's the um the like embodiment of like this horrible uh thing that's happened literally coming back and like and turning into like this horrible thing that's kind of like oh yeah if you go to that house like you'll be cursed like this this horrible act that was that has happened to this one person spawns like this like legend all because her her husband was jealous it's kind of like literally like becoming a monster as a result of from being a victim absolutely and she's also the embodiment of relentless rage i don't think i've seen a character in any horror film that's as, as relentless as as Kayako um in the same way i mean there's characters that like yeah um that, that you know are always there and haunting and sort of in the background and and whatever but that it's just it's 100 percent unadulterated unadulterated uh, un- edit that bit <laughs> unadulterated rage um it's, it's why she's so scary i think yeah it's just that it's that constant like you know that she will never stop you literally you go into the house she will find a way to follow you like she that you it something will kill you either it's going to be the little boy or her mm. yeah sorry I, I think you cut out after little boy oh i'm sorry yeah the little boy or or her yeah. because it is again it's that kind of like um what was it the like, i spit on your grave where it's kind of like the thing that kicks off the true horror was literally like being attacked yeah well that's what you alluded to earlier on wasn't it you know as a, as a um catalyst for everything I mean, that's pretty brutal that film isn't it that's not a film i want to see again i'll be honest with you <laughs> yeah same same i mean i kind of i watched it i was like you know what trauma like being traumatized like that you you probably won't go out and be able to attack your those those guys like that because you'll be that traumatized and you're gonna need a lot of therapy from that but but yeah uh enough of that the um it's literally like using it's becoming a monster as a result of being attacked in some way. Like for Kayako, it's being killed in that house, and that really the horrible thing that happened to her is the thing that. This, yeah, I mean, this trauma hateful, is. Yeah, becoming like this hateful spirit that will never stop. It will never be resolved. Yeah, and trauma is a central sort of um, theme to a lot of horror movies, isn't it? Obviously, a traumatic event tends to be a catalyst in so many. Uh, movies and horror movies uh, as we were alluding to earlier on it, it's just it'd be nice if that trauma was balanced out um, against men in the same way it's portrayed against women uh, I mean in, in Kayako's case it wasn't it was just domestic violence essentially um, which is obviously unacceptable but um, it, yeah it'd be nice if there was more more balanced for all the, all the antagonists but she still gives me nightmares <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's one of those things where you got you go to sleep in the middle of the night, uh, go to sleep at night time, and you, and you wake up in the uh, corner of your eye, you see like the dressing gown on the door, and you think, "Is that Kayako?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you or, or some... lot, just make sure it's not it's no one standing there. <laughs> or, or the stairs creak, or something, or the bed creaks, or something like that, and suddenly in your head you're like, "Ah, well, I won't do the impression. I said I wouldn't do it." But... <laughs> oh yeah, that. Uh... That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, so next time you're in a pub with your mates and you've had a few, then uh, have a have a grudge off. 
It's lots of fun. Oh God, <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be an interesting thing. Just a bunch of us start standing in a circle doing that noise. I'll pick the pub owners will probably think like, are they doing a seance? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. I, I've done it myself, but only after you know a few drinks. <laughs> oh, best time to do it then, isn't it? Well, absolutely. All all the best conversations happen in the pub. Yes. If only politicians drank more. Oh God, I'd rather think what they'd talk about. <laughs> Yes, uh, they did, if they drank drank more, um, made more policies when drunk, and weren't a bunch of toffee nose arseholes, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, so for the politics of women in horror, it's the uh, politics in general. Sadly, sadly, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm just hoping, you know, when we first talked about this as a, as a as a topic, my my kind of hope for the whole media world, but particularly Hollywood, is that look, horror movies are really pushing boundaries in terms of the way women are portrayed, and I think. You know, slowly but surely, Hollywood is starting to pay attention, which needs to happen a bit quicker. And with a few different shaped women, I think that's a fair summary. Yeah, definitely. Like, show us some women that have actual, like, decent sized curves on them. Exactly. But yeah, I, I mean, what, yeah, the other day I talked about the, um, I won't go into spoiler territory, like, when it came to, like, the newest, like, Evil, like, evil Dead Rise. Yeah, I, I mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go into spoilers. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, with the original Evil Dead, it it did have that kind of the thing that kind of like causes the deadites to like become a thing in the woods for like Ash and his and his friend and his girlfriend. Is literally some yeah, goes into the woods and like the the tree like penetrates them, and it's like and they do it and like I mean the remake in two thousand ten, yeah, it was not necessarily a tree doing it, but it was still that form of this thing is going inside someone's hoo-ha to get the story going. And it's like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that in, in the newest one, they don't have that. They don't... It's not implied. It's not shown. There's no, there's no... Nothing going into anyone's hoo-ha. <laughs> hoo-ha, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, it's very... Um, I'm glad about that. It shows that progression. It's not someone being sexually violated to to show that they're being possessed or that there's like an evil internet entity in their body. Yeah, and absolutely. To, to, to me, that shows a lot of progression. And it really surprised me when I saw that. And so, nothing's going inside her. And it's like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of progress, like you say, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, there's a part of me that's actually, like, if I watch a horror film nowadays, that sexual, that, that any form of like sexual violence, suggestiveness towards it, I'm actually like, you know what? good on the director for not doing that because it's to me that's progression it's nice to not have that in a film not have that being like a part of like what drives the characters and it's like i applaud you so i like it <laughs> yeah and hopefully that influence you know other other directors to be you know just as brave um it, it's sad that we have to consider it brave to be dare i say normal to represent something that is normal for the rest of us in, in our everyday lives is, is considered brave it's massively unfortunate, um, but we are slowly getting there. I think we are slowly getting there. Yeah. I think, I it's think kind of, is slowly getting there. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like saying, oh, you're so brave for not, sh- for not showing a scene of someone being, someone have, having something like being sodomised or having something shoved up them. <laughs> mm. yeah, exactly. It's like, thank you for not showing that to us. That's one less thing for me to cry about in the shower later. <laughs> And it's just it's just nice not to have like main characters being like sexualized or like having anything 
done to them below the belt and it's just like oh my god thank god a breath of breath of fresh air it's just it's showing that progression of thank god i don't have to go into a film i i feel as though because i sometimes when i watch films i almost expect it to happen and i'm like oh it's actually nice not to have that phone in my face <laughs> oh you absolutely right i mean i suppose Obviously, as as a woman, you, you you would perhaps pick up on these things more than I might do as a bloke, which is my fault for being a bloke. But um, uh, yeah, it's it, it's 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 old hat, really, to be perfectly honest with you, because it is a form of objectification in in many respects, and it's old hat. Yeah, it's um like doing like if there's a sex scene or anything like that. It's very rare to see like male nudity, but female nudity is definitely. It's definitely a bit more, it's more out there. It's kind of like if you're watching a scene, yes. You know what? Okay, okay, you know what? Nice boobs on the actress, but can we please get on with the story? Like? Yeah, I've never understood that because the cinema-going population is pretty 50-50. I've never seen any evidence suggest otherwise. Um, so, you know, male nudity should be as much part of it as female. I, mean, I personally don't find nudity necessary in most films, but, you know, why isn't there more male nudity in films? You know, there's 50 percent of the audience are women in most cases even even horror movies in fact horror movies is traditionally has a very strong um female uh audience because of the, the characters that you know because horror has been sort of a little bit ahead of its time with uh, uh films like the craft that i was saying earlier on kind of making women feel empowered uh a bit more you know horror genre has it probably still is 50 50 but it certainly has a large large portion of, of, of women fans um, I'd say it's probably bigger than the men, um, probably because most men are chickens and can't watch that kind of stuff. I don't know, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's why isn't there more male nudity in in that respect? You know, I don't really know. It's just it's something I've never really. I haven't re- like done any research into it, but it's just something that popped into my head recently. Of why why aren't men more sort of like shown more? I Absolutely. Think because it's just kind of like, for God's sake, like you don't go into a film and kind of go, you know what, that actress has nice tits. You don't go to cinema just for that. If you're going to do that, like, there's websites for that. You can watch it on your, your phone. Like, why would you, why is that such a thing? But again, like films from the 80s, it was very much, a, um, it was a given that you, there was going to be like female nudity in horror films. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I say it's, uh, I, I suppose, I mean, to show, I think there are guidelines with certifications to how much genitalia you can show. Um, but, you know, if a guy's, for want of a better phrase, you know, a guy's got a nice ass, why isn't that out as much as the woman with the nice breasts? You know, um, I'm sure I mean, some some guys watch films and think, yeah, she's she's got nice, nice tits, as you put it. Um, and I'm sure women would love to sit there and go, oh, he's got a great ass. And, and in some respects, why not? If they're just enjoying it for what it is. But a lot of it is unnecessary, um, in, in my view. Um, but um, there should be more of it. More, 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 more male asses in horror films, please. <laughs> this is when it's going to happen, where it's just going to be like, they're just going to be everywhere now. And it's like, oh, wow. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's, it's designed to show an element of vulnerability, I suppose. Um, you know, because people do feel vulnerable when they're naked. So I suppose it's perhaps meant to, to, to express that. But, you know. You can have a vulnerable naked male as well. Why not? Oh, most definitely. Like, if... Um, I'm trying to think, like, if... You don't... 
you're more likely to see a woman in a horror film like being attacked in the shower because it is a, that it's that vulnerable space. It's you don't really see that many men being attacked in the shower, like being attacked naked. No, no, and, and again, that's something they could probably address. You know, but there's no there's no reason that a shower is a sort of safe slash vulnerable space for anybody, um, regardless of of you know whether you're male or female. Um, so perhaps they could portray. You know, more men being attacked in the shower. There's no reason why they shouldn't. I'm really trying to think. Like, have, what films have I seen where guys actually get attacked without clothes on? Uh, they involve a lot of deep research, but, but, but not many. It's probably just a handful of them, really. Yeah, exactly. So, again, it's just another example of, of the imbalance, really. So, Hollywood, if you're listening, sort it out. Or <laughs> <laughs> we'll see yes. more, more differently shaped women and more arses, please. <laughs> Yes, show us men's bums and also show like curvy, like different shapes. And uh, if you're going to do shower scenes, make sure it's a bloke getting attacked in the shower, not a woman. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. Can I Brilliant. imagine showers would be like a vulnerable state for like guys as well? Yeah, it would be because it's you're in a private moment. You know, when you for anybody being sort of naked and alone is is, is is private. But yeah, in a shower, you're you're fully exposed, aren't you? If somebody was to sort of pull back the curtain or attack you in some manner you're, you're not expecting it um and and you are you're vulnerable yeah it's like you can't exactly protect yourself with a shampoo bottle can you so no exactly i mean toilet brush maybe because who the hell wants to be touched by a used toilet brush but still <laughs> that's actually what uh, i've been thought now i think of it <laughs> <laughs> i want to see a comedy scene now in like a um you know scary movie six or whatever <laughs> Someone defends themselves in the shower with a toilet brush. I think that'd be great. <laughs> I'll buy the shower toilet brush just like to defend myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was listening to Caffeinated Monsters podcast and I thought it'd be a really good idea. <laughs> so, would you want to be jabbed in the face with this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you did, it would be a shit way to go. But hey. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> you can put a drum sound effect in there later. Oh yes, yeah. I'll, if I if I, if I can think of, if I can remember to, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Do you have any more examples at all? Uh, I've exhausted my list. To be perfectly honest, um, I mean I've got a list of like great antagonists, um, most of which we've covered. The only other ones sort of worth mentioning would be. Um, uh, oh, my mind's gone completely blank. The Americans foolishly were renamed as Samara. What's a bloody name in Ringu. Oh, yeah, uh, I know what you mean. Um, hold on. Yeah, why can't I remember her name? <laughs> Come on, Google. I was trying hard not to Google it, because I, I could normally tell you straight off the bat, but maybe I should tell you straight off the toilet brush, I don't know. <laughs> Sadako? Sadako, no, uh, yes, 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 thank you. Uh, Sadako, yeah, I mean, again, brilliant. Um, the Nun, we're going back to The Conjuring, which I think has done good things for sort of portraying sort of good female characters. The Nun terrifying as you're going to get um la hirana um again quite a quite a brutally scary character that's probably that's they're the ones i wrote down there was something i'll if i can remember so i'll send you a link for this and i'll link it in the um description for this episode as well it's a uh, dissertation off yesterday i think you'd enjoy it it's literally it's called uh women and horror on the uh, it came out in 2021, and it was uh, written by Amy Vosper, and it's uh, for, uh, it was released on the website Trent University in Canada. 
All right. Yeah, send it to me. I'll be interested to read that. Absolutely. But yeah, it's like 305 pages, but worth reading. But bath time reading then. Not shower yes. time reading, of course. Yeah, yeah definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Um, I've only read a few pages of it, but it, it like, I love the fact that it goes into, like, it's got so much involved in it. Like, the fact that someone sat down and wrote a dissertation on this, and it's actually, like, up on their website, and it's just, but it goes into, um, uh, what the subchapters, uh, uh, woman as a victim, woman as a survivor, uh, feminist monster, goes into, like, uh, backgrounds of, like, uh, ex- Exhuming the dead uh, uh, methods, results in findings. Like, they proper go into like, so much detail of like women in horror films. And it's just kind of like, I highly recommend reading it. Even if you don't like the whole thing in one go, like, get, do it for, uh, for a few days. It's definitely it's worth the read. All right. Yeah, no, send me that. I'll be interested to read it. Thank you. So I think so. I know you like a little bit of a read for it when it comes to like horror stuff. Oh yeah, all all the horror. Give me all the horror. <laughs> mm. I might send it to a positively horror as well. I think he'd get a kick out of reading it. Yeah, yeah. I'll say you could put it in the show notes and they'll be able to uh, have a look. Oh yeah, I just I love the fact that someone actually sat down and wrote a dissertation on it. If someone was that passionate about that subject matter that she wrote that literally, but what was it like pretty much bettered their grade or weighed this against their grade in order to get this dissertation done to me that's a phenomenal because it shows that someone was passionate about that subject absolutely and sometimes it takes sort of people highlighting it in that sort of format you know to make it happen um to, to get other people to sort of think about it isn't it sometimes you, you need a person that can kind of like sit down and kind of and say yeah i think we need to like we need to talk about the subject matter like it this needs to be pinpointed. yeah absolutely so yeah so where can our lovely listeners find you um the easiest place to find me is uh all my links backslash zero signal 77 so it's z-e-r-o signal and then two numbers seven seven that's got my instagram my youtube um and all that kind of stuff on there lovely jubbly but yeah it was definitely a um yeah a good episode yeah thank you for suggesting this subject pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure to, to be on I, I really enjoyed the, the, the first one we did and uh, obviously I, well, I said to you the first time I came on I, I listened to it anyway you always have interesting people on so I've got a high, high standards to meet <laughs> uh, but it, it's a real pleasure to, to talk, about it, talk about these things with you yeah it's lovely to uh, pick your brain on these things <laughs> and wasn't that a lovely little episode if our listeners like to here is another platform. You can find us on Podbay, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course Spotify. And it's always appreciated if people would like to review us on any of those platforms. You can also find our social media with Slasher App, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to, you can always help us out on Patreon. It's under patreon.com slash caffeinated underscore monsters. Our Patreon is only £3 a month. You have access to watch parties each month, a shout out for the episodes as well. And we also like to give a little message to you as well to say thank you for helping us out. So for £3 a month you get all that. 
On Patreon, you can also enjoy seasonal episodes from the spooky Halloween season to the enjoyable St. Patrick's Day. And of course, the special Pride Month where we get to enjoy the LGBTQ plus community episode as well. You can also buy our merch on Redbubble, which is um, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash caffeinated M. But if you're not a huge fan of Redbubble, we do have a spreadshirt store. So if you go to caffeinated-monsters- podcast.myspreadshirt.co.uk you can enjoy some merch show some love remember to watch plenty of horror films and let us know if you find any really interesting ones you'd like us to review